This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast. I am Elliot Shore Parks. The, the pod is, of course, brought to you by Odyssey Sports 94 WIP. Make sure you download that app. You get all the podcasts first. And who doesn't want that this time of the year, especially with the Christmas game coming up, especially with the Red Hot Sixers, and especially with Kyle Newbeck on the pod. Kyle, what up, man? How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm just getting ready to eat way too many Christmas cookies <laughs> and uh, have a little eggnog. And yes. at least after all these games are out of the way and we can relax, which is, you know, not not that easy for us during uh, no. this part of the year. But as we said at the end of the last podcast, that's the, the job you sign up for. So I said this on the Go Birds pod, which, of course, everyone else should be listening to if you're an Eagles fan. But here's my question for you, Kyle. Do you think it's felt like the holiday season this year? I think I've come to the realization, and I can see you laughing already. I've come to the realization that it is not really the holiday season unless it snows. Do you agree? I actually, I um, I tend to agree with that. Okay. We So I live sort of close to the quote-unquote miracle on 13th Street block okay. in Philly. Like it's within walking distance. And, you know, because that's so close by, you do get that holiday vibe very mm. early in the season. I, I think one thing I've noticed is as I've transitioned from, you know, I grew up listening to radio predominantly, like that's how most of us listen to all our media yeah. in the car and different. I don't do that as much anymore because I can well, either plug now you in just my, use can, the Odyssey app, right? You right. You use the Odyssey <laughs> app. You, exactly. I'm using Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, right. to listen to different podcasts and the music I want to listen to rather than, you know, top 40 or the classic rock station or whatever it is. And so I I feel like I miss out on some of that, that Christmas vibe through that too, where you're almost forced to listen to Christmas music starting on basically Thanksgiving, I think is the unofficial start of Christmas season. And I'm good with that. I love Christmas music. I actually got in a debate with someone about whether it's the best genre of music there is. Clearly, nobody would pick that you know, <laughs> for the rest of your life. But I think it brings you that uh, that holiday spirit. That's a good point, because if I was driving um, to the Eagles practice earlier today and I put on B101 and I was listening. And you're right. Once I had that on, I started to feel a little more. But I think that the lack of Christmas music in the car might be the main reason why. So these are the things I think about, Kyle. Like when I'm not doing Sixers Pod, I drive around and think, why does it not feel like Christmas? It's also the shopping experience too, right? Like I feel like most of our shopping, or at least my shopping, this isn't everybody, but mine has gone to online predominantly. Whereas if you're in the mall and you see kids lining up, talking to Santa, doing all that, then that also adds to it. So it's a combination of a lot of things it's yes we could just say we all operate in our own little bubbles and you know nobody well, really gets the crossover anymore 
The last question I have for you. So we're both newlywed, first Christmas as newlyweds. I'm in a bit of a tough situation because we're going to her parents' house. I don't know what you what your holiday plans is or if you celebrate Christmas or whatever the holiday yeah. is that everyone out there celebrates. But it's the first one and I'm in front of her parents. So I feel like I really got to bring the fire as a gift. But we also just spent a ton of money on the wedding. So I'm in this place where I got to find the fire gift, but I can't overdo it. So everyone just out there pray for me, I guess, is really, really where I'm going with this. It's all, both our families are in secret Santa mode. So it's Ooh, mostly nice. just that uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, you're getting a gift for every single person. <laughs> and then everyone also understands we're in the wedding. So the yes. uh, the gift expectations are low. So very nice. Well, one thing that were low for the expectations, I should say, I flipped that. One thing that was not low for the expectation was the Sixers heading into this uh, homestand. We both thought that it was going to be a homestand that was critically important. And I don't even think in our wildest dreams we could have hoped they would win six six games in a row. I know that the opponents were easy. A few things have broken their way. But bottom line is this is a team that is now 6-0 and on the homestand. They are starting to turn things around. They are starting to look like the team everybody hoped they would. Now, I know they played a trash team in the Pistons. Let's be honest. It's probably the worst team they've played. Like, we debated the Rockets, you know, if you would swap situations, whatever. I would not swap with the Pistons. The Pistons are, <laughs> I would hope not, or we yeah, might just no. have to end the podcast. Yeah, that would be the last episode of the Clap Your Hands podcast. But the, the Pistons are a literal dumpster fire. In fact, Kyle, you tweeted this, and as a person that respects takes via tweet, you said you thought the process Sixers could beat this Pistons team. So I I should say that does not include the 10 and 72 starting <laughs> no, Okafor no. and Nerlens Noel front court Sixers. Like that team doesn't get marked as a favorite against absolutely anybody. You only win right. 10 games and you know that's sort of the the cost of that. But yeah. I uh, the reason I said that the Sixers were up I want to say 12 or 14 something like that at halftime uh, the other night and they probably could have been up by 30 mm. and it's not just that they missed shots it's that the shots they missed were created with basically no work. It's they dribbled the ball up the floor Joel Embiid turned to his right. Somebody had cheated off of a shooter and a guy was wide open. Like you can make all sorts of reasons why the Sixers were so bad during the process era. They turned the ball over too much. They didn't have a real point guard and, you know, so on and so forth. But for most of that time, at least when they had, you know, Nerlens Noel and some degree of competency, they at least had like a decent defensive group and they had guys who were trying hard yeah and you know they just weren't good enough so good head coach too yeah and i think detroit obviously has some talent for the long term and like i like Jaden ivy they have some interesting pieces but they just were so disengaged and like head in the clouds type behavior for a lot of that mm -hmm. game and you know so that's what i i would take a team that i know despite their talent issues was going to at least show up and do like try to execute a game plan and do what they're supposed to do. So I'm taking the process Sixers versus them. I like I, the talent doesn't matter if the talent is just, you know, floating all over the place. Now, if Cade Cunningham is healthy, bit of a different story, but this version of the Pistons is just absolute garbage. It's funny. Cause I think back to the process years and, you know, I, I said in there how they had a great head coach and I think Brett did a, do a great job with what his role was. And then, you know, got them 50 plus wins when they had to win too. But what was impressive about the process Sixers to me, and of course we're starting this talking about the process Sixers, uh, <laughs> as everyone expected. But what was impressive to me about the process Sixers was they tried 
hard almost every night. I can't say, you know, when they were 10 and 70, they were giving their all, but they were at least competitive every single night. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you can say that about this team. Like we talk so much about this team and efforts and issues sometimes being checked out as an issue at times, and they have way more to play for than the process Sixers. Now it's a different type of a lack of effort because this is a team that's you know, wrongfully, as we've discussed, is kind of just waiting for the playoffs. The Sixers, the process Sixers were playing for their career every night. Those players were playing to stay in the league. But it is ironic that the team that everyone thought was trying to lose, I think pretty consistently gave better effort than the team that is trying to win the NBA title. Yeah, so I will say the Pistons game from an effort perspective was actually a good version of not trying that hard. Like that's not a team you should go all mm-hmm. out against. You. The Sixers were up by double digits basically the entire game. It was never close. You never felt like, oh, here comes the run. Right. It was just a lot of get Joel off the floor, get James off the floor, play them less minutes than usual when they're out there. You know, don't overtax these guys. And honestly, like the defensive effort was pretty good. Other than I think James Harden might have had the single worst defensive game in (laughs) the history of the NBA on Wednesday night, like might have been responsible for 40 points of nice. Detroit's through bad on ball, off ball, poor rebounding, whatever. But you know, if you're going to win by 20 and it's never going to be in doubt, I don't care if you just kind of mail it in. As long as you're taking care of business, I'm fine with saying, Joel Embiid, you're going half speed. James Harden, you're going half speed, whatever. Like just take care of business, win comfortably, get off the floor and get out of there. And it was funny. Like, Doc didn't say this in so many words, but his his post-game quote to lead his press conference was essentially, yeah, you know, I, I thought we were okay. Everybody stayed healthy. We won. You move on to the next game. And that was his way of saying, yeah. like, yeah, they didn't really they didn't really care about that game. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a professional win. It was a win that you go out, you do your job. It's a what Wednesday night. It's cold. It's disgusting. It's almost Christmas. It's a game where, you know, you could let that slip potentially. Now, thankfully the Pistons are hot garbage. So it would have been really hard for them to to pull that off. But I think what, how you put it and what doc said is true. They stepped up, they won the game. And of course the pod after we, I spend, you know, 25 minutes saying how I would trade Toby. He comes out and he's red hot to start. I think he missed, he made all of his shots in the first quarter. And I really do see him playing with a ton of confidence now. I think he's very comfortable in his role. He's a very willing shooter. I still stand by what I said that he's at the end of the day, an elite role player. I don't think he is a big three type of player, but he is really, really playing well. I know we talked about this on the last pod, but it seems, you know, almost criminal to to talk about that game against the Pistons and not talk about the start that he had to help them put that game away early. Yeah, and really him getting in foul trouble was the only blemish of the game mm-hmm. for him. Like he it was when they had some slow stretches during the game, he would, you know, go down to the mid post and do the stuff that he used to do a lot more of. Starting the game when, you know, Joel and James are controlling things in the middle of the floor. He's spotting up, he's letting it go and, you know, knocking down shots. I just, I continue to be really impressed with him. And no, I still would not trade him for Zach. (laughs) So we can uh, just put that to bed right now. Now, I don't know if that's true for the executives who run the team, whether that would be under consideration. But, uh, but yeah, it's like he's a professional, put in a professional performance. And there were a bunch of those that just got them over the line. Like I, nobody played 
particularly well and they won by 20 and in an 82 game season those are honestly some of the best games for me because there's just not a whole lot to it's yeah they got more talent yeah they executed the game plan they took care of business and you know you just move on and prepare for the next one which you know assuming all the clippers guys play that'll be the one that's like the real fun one of this homestand well, and for you, you know, a little behind the scenes, as someone that also writes game stories that you want to get put up at the end, there is nothing better than in that fourth quarter. Oh. You know, you're just like, all right, I pretty much know what I can write. You can really give opinion. You can, you know, dig into it. When it's a tight game, then you're really like, so this happened da, 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 quickly. This e- the, the I said Eagles because they do it as well. The Sixers team has been taking care of business in that regard, giving you some, uh, some comfortable fourth quarters. Yeah, and I will say it almost worked – to the opposite effect last night where I was like, I don't even know what to write about this because <laughs> nobody played well. Yeah. <laughs> or very few people played well. Anyway, I will say here is one positive coming out of that game. I, I think Detroit auto double Joel a lot early in the mm-hmm. game and continuing a theme we've talked about a lot on the podcast. He was just getting rid of the ball as soon as they came at him and the Sixers were getting open shot after open shot. And that's how you build an early double digit lead and then coast into an easy victory. You just make the right plays instead of saying, I'm the star. I'm the guy who's going to go out and score 30 points, 40 points, whatever it is. Joel made the right team plays. And when they did single cover him, then he had some stretches where, you know, poor Marvin Bagley just has no chance yeah. to defend him and have put enough of those together on top of the early stuff that, the game was put away and they got to just kind of hang out for a couple of hours. It's like Doc says that uh, earned, um, you know, sitting on the bench time that earned the time off, right? They, they got a little bit of that uh, at the end. So as we started with six and zero on the homestand now, one more game at home before they go to New York on Christmas day, talk about that game in a little bit. Then they have Washington. I mean, I, I've asked you this on the last few pods, but it feels like it's a question that continues worth asking because I'll be honest from from my opinion on this. The first pod we did, I said the window was closed on this on this team. And that was, you know, reactionary, which I love to do. The six straight wins, I don't know. I'll be honest. I think I'm probably in the 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 majority of the fan base, which is show me when it matters. I don't buy in. I'm contemplating letting myself buy in. I think that you're seeing the, t- the pieces really fit together. I think Embiid has played a lot better. Obviously, Toby's a big part of it. The role players have been good. Harden, I think, is finding a nice role. I'm starting to to allow myself to believe a little bit. Do you think this 6-0 run, am I being foolish there? Am I just getting caught up in the moment? Is it the the Christmas season or lack thereof? Like, what do you, do you, are you starting to say, okay, this is the beginning of a team that could do something? So I we can use this to segue into our uh, headline of the podcast, which nice. is power ranking the uh, the conference. I I look at it the same way that I do Brooklyn's run of form that they're in. They have been really good in terms of their record, and they're beating up on some teams. They had some great individual outings, but the schedule still is what it is. Like we can't say, oh, they beat Detroit in mid December or late December. And that means all of a sudden they're back on track. They beat Charlotte. Oh man, they're they're putting it together. Like I I do want to see how they look against better teams. I do think though that they've shown a level of night to night professionalism, which was something that we've hammered them on a lot. It's like, look, you have to go out there and take care of business and, yeah. and stop acting entitled. 
that you're just going to waltz into wins. Like they have mostly taken these games seriously in spite of the fact that these are not exactly circle the calendar games that they've been playing. And so you don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not detracting or taking away from them because they're winning against bad teams. Like it's good that they're doing this. It's good that they've been a better offensive team with Harden, a better overall defensive team over the last, we'll say month and a half or so. But I'm not ready to say, yeah, this is the team we thought they might be this year because they beat these teams the same way. Like, yeah. And when we get to these power rankings, I'm not ready to say the Nets are back and the Nets are the a contending team because they've mostly beaten up on a bunch of bad teams. Right? It's, yeah. So yes, they've they've got they've turned the ship around and they look more confident. But we can slow our roll on who we think they are. So I think we're going to be on the same page with the Nets. I have a pretty strong opinion of them, but I, I I think you'll agree when we get there. The one thing I'll say before we start to rank them, and you know, we'll talk about how we did power rankings in general, because I do mine a little different, which could be interesting to get your take on it. But okay. the, re- the reason I think I, I'm starting to believe in the Sixers more is because early on in the year, and we talked about this, the lack of reps they were getting together, all those things. Now, I think it's a weak excuse, but the excuse is what it is. I think they're starting to actually look like a team where I can see how it works against good teams. Embiid's the center of it. If he's passing it well, then you feel comfortable about him running through the offense. James has done a good job getting involved, and he's been better as a scorer. I know the three-point shooting in a few games has still been off, but he's been better as a scorer. Toby's playing at a high level. We talked about how much better they've been with Melton. What I see is a team that if Maxi can come back and be a perimeter threat for them, someone that not only can make threes, but somebody that they can swing it to and attack the basket – when maybe Harden's off or Embiid's off, you see the beginning parts of a team that even against a great team, at least knows who they are, at least knows what they want to do, knows how they can run through through Joel. So I'll, I agree with you. I still think there are teams that are better than them in the East. But if we did this power rankings at the beginning, to me, they looked like a disjointed, poorly coached, not great effort, didn't know what they were doing. I think at least the pieces are starting to come together. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that. I do think, you know, I want to see what Joel looks like when he's getting double teamed by teams that aren't just sending it immediately and he yeah. has to actually make on-the-fly decisions. Like, it, it it makes it almost automatic. when if, if a team sends an immediate double, that's not a hard decision for Joel to make, right? Like, ball hits his hands, two guys are there, he swings the ball, open three, boom. When it's like Boston has historically delayed their doubles more and they'll send late pressure and they'll wait until he puts the ball on the floor and then they're coming at him. And that leads to sloppy ball handling and bad passes and all kinds of chaos. And so I do want to see what he looks like against better defenses and better teams. But I agree with you. I think it's been encouraging to see him embrace more and the team around him by extension Mm -hmm. embrace more of this style where he is the hub of the offense and it does get to run through him around the elbows. And, you know, James has still been able to be productive and impactful in spite of that. Um, so, yeah, I, like I, I, I'm not trying to diminish what they've done. It's still a six and zero homestand so far could be seven and zero if they're able to beat the Clippers. That's obviously very good. And they're doing the work they need to do now in the standings to, uh, if you look at the standings right now, they are only, I think three games back of Boston. So like that's a pretty huge accomplishment when you consider how we were talking about Boston to start the year. Some of that speaks to Boston struggling lately, but the Sixers are making up ground. They're getting closer to the top of the conference and 
ultimately that's all you can ask for for a team that's still trying to figure things out. So you're around the team every day. Um, do you notice a difference in them between before this winning streak and after? Do you feel like they're more confident? Do they seem like they feel like they're clicking? I mean, any differences for, for people that you'd want them to know for people that don't get to be around the team? I mean, Joel has said this recently, and I tend to agree with him. I don't think the vibes were ever that bad internally. Like there was a lot of smiling and laughing and, you know, joking around in the, laugh right. in the locker room, not necessarily after losses, but certainly during periods where they weren't performing as well as people expected them to. So it, it never seemed like there was this crushing weight on them that they started slow and the sky is falling. Everything sucks. Like certainly we did some of that on the outside, the fan base, whoever, but I, I think they have stayed relatively steady. Um, and I, so that's now reflected in, I don't think they're getting too high on their own supply now that they're, <laughs> now that they're yeah. actually winning games. So I, I think not much has changed on that front, but I think that's a good thing. I think they're, they're trying to not get too high and not go too low when they're down. So I, I think that's how you survive an 82 game season without, yeah. you know, totally losing your mind. I also think it's good that, when Harden came back, I think there were discussions about how will they work together? Joel was playing so well without him. I think that it wouldn't have like combusted if he came back and didn't play well, but it did feel there were maybe at a point where if he came back and it didn't go well, Joel, you know, snipes at him uh, in the media again. So from a vibe perspective, it's good to hear that. And I think it's especially good with Harden coming back and playing pretty consistently with Joel. Now, I mean, before I think they were two and five with Joel and Harden or, or something like that. So they, I'm pretty sure Harden's played at all these games. So, you know, six and zero oh now off of that, I just think it's good to see them playing together because I do think that could have been a combustible situation. Yeah, for sure. So mm -hmm. now I think we can move on to wherever the hell they, uh, <laughs> all right. In the, the hierarchy here. Okay. So Kyle, here's how I did the power rankings. Now, Here's the thing about power rankings before we get into them. They are subjective. Everybody does them differently. If you want to do who's the best teams right now, I think that's different. But here's how I ranked my teams. I did one through eight, and then I put nines because I couldn't decide between eight and nine. This is basically a combination of right now, but also who do we trust? Who do we trust come playoff time is legit. Because even though we're a third of the way through the season, I do think, you know, like the Cavaliers, for example, uh, that's a really good They've been awesome this year. They've never won a playoff series. They're a relatively new team, relatively young team. I don't know if how high I can put them over some more playoff tested teams. So I basically did this as a combination of playing great right now, but also playoff tested. Do I trust them? So, all right, number one, I'll go through mine and we'll talk about each team, but then tell me if you think they're too high, too low, where you would put them. No, number one for me is the Boston Celtics. Average the most points in the NBA. They have the second highest net rating in the NBA. They have Jason Tatum. You'll find the more we do this pod. I am a Jason Tatum fanboy. I believe in him. If I could start <laughs> my team with anybody, it probably would be him or Shea Gildress Alexander. And I know I'd be wrong about that. There's other people that should go ahead of him. But I'm a big Tatum guy. I've seen him do it in the playoffs. And for me, that's why I put the Celtics number one. Last year, made it to the finals. This year, they've got off to a great start. We talked about their defense. Robert Williams, I think, will you know help that. Uh, you know, I think their defense will end up being better than 13th overall. But they have an outstanding offense. So when you look at a combination of elite wing play between uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, obviously a great point guard and Marcus Smart, strong defense, playoff tested, I think they're the best team in the East right now. 
So really the only counter argument is for Milwaukee, right? And yeah. I I sort of consider them, I think of power rankings more of in tiers where, so I think Boston and Milwaukee are clearly the top tier Agreed. in the East until proven otherwise. Uh, and really, I think Milwaukee, the case for them at number one hinges on do you think Chris Middleton is going to get back to the form he used to be in, or is it going to be this weird season where he came back late and now he's dealing with, you know, load management and other little bumps and bruises that don't have him at full strength. If he gets right by the end of the year, I think I would still take Milwaukee over Boston Mm. partially and not because of the stars. Like I think Tatum to your point is MVP level performer this year is really, really good. Like, way better than I ever thought he could be coming out of college where he was not a guy I had uh, super high aspirations for because of his style of play. But I, I think my biggest concern with Boston is that trusting Horford to be such a huge defensive linchpin for them after a long run last year, I think people have discounted that he looked really good last year in part because he basically got a sabbatical in Oklahoma City. And so he's coming off a season where he didn't really play much at all. And then you get the bet. He looks a year younger because of that. And and that was really helpful. And I know Robert Williams will obviously make a big difference. I agree with you there that having both of those guys in the lineup and being able to do different things defensively, that's all well and good. I just, I do worry a little bit about Horford and, you know, they get to, may and june and these guys are piling up minutes piling up minutes whether he still has enough in the tank to be you know one of their most important defensive players so that's that's the case against them and then the middleton thing for milwaukee but they're the clear top two until somebody else can prove otherwise in a uh a playoff format because I, I mean milwaukee offered the stiffest test to boston in the East Con- eastern conference playoffs last year arguably should have won that series if not mm-hmm. for a heroic game six from Tatum and then game seven Boston just shot the lights out and you know one of those nights you can't do anything about it yeah so I agree I have bucks number two so we'll just just get into kind of comparing them off of what you said I think they have the best combination of elite talent but also playoff tested and I know that sometimes it doesn't always come year to year you know just because the Cavs weren't in it last year doesn't mean they can't be legit this year just because the Heat were great this year last year in the playoffs doesn't mean this year but I do think the Celtics have that I would almost compare them to the Chiefs and the Bills in the NFL of elite talent big game tested and they can do it on both ends they have the star players especially if Middleton comes back to your point when I look at how the Sixers could match up against either of them you could make the case Joel's the best player on either of those teams I would personally take Giannis or Tatum but you could make the case Joel is. I just think the difference is the Celtics have Jalen Brown. He's better than James Harden. And then the Bucks have Chris Middleton. Him versus Harden's debatable, I guess. I think because of the injuries and he's kind of on and off the court with Middleton, it maybe is a little closer. But I think Middleton still has a higher ceiling right now than Harden was. Harden does. I just think those teams have star powers the Sixers can't really match with. Well, the bigger problem for the Sixers in both those matchups, well, two separate problems. In the Milwaukee matchup, Drew Holiday is going to give James Harden absolute fits. Like yes. He's just, he, it is not a good matchup for Harden where you can just stick Drew on James Harden for the entire game. And I don't think he's getting to the rim 
more than a couple of times. Like that's a big problem. Now I say that James did have a big game against Milwaukee early in the season. Uh, they played some small ball and really messed with Milwaukee's continuity there. They got back into that game, despite the fact that, you know, Joel was still kind of going through the motions early in the season. So that was encouraging. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I don't love that matchup. I don't love how between the Giannis, Middleton, Holiday combo, you have several different options to punish Tyrese Maxey's lack of size. Like That's yeah. a potential problem in that matchup. And then in the Boston scenario, I worry about how you defend them, just period. Like I, I, when you, It's hard to cover one high-end wing like Tatum and Brown is not at his level, but he is, I don't know, wherever He's you close. want to put him in the, the NBA hierarchy. Phenomenal athlete, guy who can get by you, quick first step, all that stuff. And, you know, whoever you use to stop Tatum, and I don't think you're stopping him as much as slowing him down, I think the other guy is going to be in a bad matchup against Jalen Brown or vice versa. And then even after that, you have to worry about, can Marcus Smart just take Tyrese Maxey down to the post and yeah. score over him? Can you know Malcolm Brogdon off the bench get going against either of James Harden or Tyrese Maxey? Like they're they're a deep team this year with a lot of offensive weaponry. They're just very good, and I don't think Joel has shown over a sustained period of time that he's going to overwhelmingly be the best player on the floor against either of those teams. Like I honestly yeah. am pretty concerned about the Milwaukee matchup specifically. I think Brooke Lopez has actually done a really good job, broadly speaking of defending him. And so if you can take Joel down a notch and then you're relying on the rest of these guys, those become much more difficult series to win. Like you need James Harden to be James Harden in a series against the Bucks, for example, where we already said Drew Holiday is making his life miserable. And so then it's like, all right, Tyrese, it's all up to you and Tobias to uh, to raise your level and be better. And, you know, maybe that happens, but he's still a young guy with not a ton of playoff reps that you know, that's a big ask for him. Well, I think what you said about Joel is is so true because we can talk about Middleton versus Harden, Brown versus whoever. Joel has not shown that for seven games he can be consistent enough, whereas Giannis has shown it. I think Tatum has shown it as well, and that would be the main difference. Last question before we move on to the other teams. Really quickly, the Sixers play the Bucks. The Sixers play the Celtics in a seven-game series. Right now, what would you – I mean, I know you would pick the Bucks and the Celtics, but do you think they go seven, or do you think the Sixers are even competitive against them right now? I think they'd be competitive, and this will, I guess, is a spoiler. I, despite this tough, the tough start, and they're sitting fifth in the standings right now. I think I would still put the Sixers third. In oh, the that's where I would go too. So, and I, so I think, you know, I still think they're a tier below, and I don't think they're as serious a contender as Boston and Milwaukee, but I do think that the Sixers still have the spine of a team that could potentially be great if things break right. Yeah. And so, you know, if things go on the trajectory they're on right now, if Tyrese comes back and they integrate him well while still getting the most out of Melton in these lineups that we've talked about being really, really good with Tyrese on the sideline, I think they have a chance to, at the very least, scare one of these top teams. And, you know, on their best day, in their best series, I, I do think they have a puncher's chance to beat them. So I put the Sixers third as well. The reason I put them there 
is because if you look at the teams that would be around them, I think the Nets are in the discussion. Cavaliers are probably in that discussion right now. You could, you know, the Heat, we'll get, we'll get to them. But I think the Sixers of the second tier of the teams that aren't the Bucks and the Celtics, they have an elite player in Joel, checkered playoff pass, but an elite player. They have tons of playoff experience. We can knock them for it, but they have playoff experience that, frankly, the Nets don't have. They have play experience that the Cavs don't have. The Hawks do, but the Hawks are oh, you know well below the Sixers at this point. And to your to your point about putting a scare into teams, although the Sixers' lack of playoff fresh, uh, success frustrates me to no end, they at least have gone to Game Sevens. They've advanced far. I mean, if you could argue if a ball bounces a different way, if you know Ben doesn't pass it, if Tyrese doesn't foul this guy, we're talking. If Kawhi's shot doesn't go in, we're talking about a team that's been to the Eastern Conference Finals twice. So as much as the loss is what matters, and that's ultimately to me why I don't think they're in that tier of the Celtics and the Bucks. They they have played in big playoff series. And to what we were talking about you know, a few minutes ago, I think we're starting to see them piece together a semblance of what they could look like. I cover the Eagles who know who they are. Every Sunday, they know who they are. I think the Sixers are figuring out who they are. And I think that that, that can make them really good. So I would still put them third despite the – this, uh, despite the fact that they're fifth in the standings, despite the fact I'm frustrated to no end with them, I still think they probably are the third best team in the East. Yeah, and if so if we're looking at, if we say the next tier, in my mind, is the teams that are three, four, five in the standings, which I, I think at this point, I'm okay with that. I don't think the Knicks, I don't think the Heat, I don't think anybody else are you know at that level. I think the Sixers are the clear winners in the like the matchups with those teams specifically. Mm-hmm. So if you play Cleveland, for example, I think Joel historically has kicked Jared Allen's ass. I think Evan Mobley is a really good player who's going to have a tremendous career, but is just not really built to defend someone like Joel. I do think that Donovan Mitchell has been better than I've expected there, and he's going to give the Sixers problems in that sort of matchup, but I don't think he's quite good enough to be like the overwhelming. He just carries you to a series victory in a matchup where they just have no answers for Joel. Like, I I just don't think he can quite reach that level as much respect as I have for him. And then you go to Brooklyn and I think it's the same problem. I think they're not, they've been better defensively lately, but they are just not equipped to guard Joel at all. Like it might be a series. He scores 40 points a game. So a couple things. First, let me ask. I want the. I'll just give my Nets take first. All right, the Nets are a non-serious team. I am done believing in the Nets. <laughs> they could be the number one seed. They could win twenty straight games. They could sweep the first round. This is a team that we have seen is a fake team. Durant will get hurt. Kyrie will do something. Ben won't be there when they play their best for one game. I think they could be the best team in the East. We could debate Celtics, Bucks, whatever. Durant's unbelievable. Kyrie has been one of the best playoff slash clutch performers. He's an unstoppable bucket. All those things are true. And when Ben is being the best version of Ben, like the best possible version, I think he fits in well. But none of that is going to happen. For as much as we talk about the Sixers' inconsistencies and whether Joel will be there, Harden will be there, Joel is more dependable than Kyrie Irving. He's more dependable than Ben Simmons. Durant, you know, whatever. Durant is plays, but he's also not been great in the playoffs recently. I, I just think when I look at the Nets, I spent too many years of my life afraid of the Nets. And Kyle, I'm done with it. I'm done being afraid of the Nets. I don't care about this recent stretch. I don't care that they put 91 points up. They are a fake team. And I just refuse to say that I view them as legitimate title contenders. 
Well, so to your point, I just want to run through the there are there are what eleven and one, ten and one since uh, Thanksgiving, I believe. Yeah. Let's just go through the games they've played during this stretch. All right. They beat Portland. That's that was a good performance. I watched some of. That's a that's a pretty good win. Portland's not bad. They beat Orlando. They suck. They beat Washington. They suck. Yep. They beat Toronto. They suck, as we saw the other night. Sixers almost blew that game anyway. They lost to Boston. Only good team we've named so far. Mm-hmm. They beat the Hornets. Charlotte sucks. They beat Atlanta. Dumpster fire who, you know, Trey Young, is. there's reports coming out that, yep. you know, he might ask out soon. They beat the Pacers. Not, like, fun and Halliburton's good. They're not very good. They beat the Wizards again. They suck. They beat Toronto again. They suck. They yeah. beat the Pistons. They suck. And their final win, which was the win they just got, where they won by 30, they played the Warriors with no Steph, no Wiggins, no Clay Thompson. Yeah. Who cares? Like, I, none <laughs> of that means anything. Like, I yeah. don't, am I supposed to throw a fucking parade for these guys? Like, uh, they haven't beaten anybody. I, I 100% agree with you. And now, look, we should acknowledge a bit of the uh, – I'm going to not be able to think of the word, a bit of the hypocrisy of saying, well, the Sixers are 6-0 and and they've they've not played good teams. The Raptors were in there. The Pistons were in there. The Warriors without people. The difference is the Sixers have won playoff series. The Sixers, at least their stars, play most of the games. I just, I am not buying into the Nets. Point blank period, I'm not buying into them. I refuse to be tricked by them again. So I think it seems like we're on the same page with that. Let me get off uh, my cap. And on top of that, and on top of that, I just and until Ben Simmons proves he can do anything past the first round of the playoffs, that just the yeah. rest of like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, whatever, like guys who have proven it on some. Yeah, level, they're unbelievable. But, yeah, but Ben Simmons, show me something, buddy. Like I, I don't care if you put up a triple double in a game in January against the Hornets or have some good games here in December, look like an actual basketball player. Yeah, until it's on tape in a real game, in a real series. I've said this, I've written this, I've said it a a thousand times. The funniest part about that Raptor series that the Sixers lost when Jimmy Butler was here is Ben getting all this credit for like, oh man, he made Kawhi work really hard. (laughs) Kawhi scored 35 points a game. (laughs) Who cares? Who cares he had to work hard? He still kicked his ass at the end of the day. Like, Yeah. yeah, he was a better option than Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler or anybody else on the team. Kawhi worked him the whole series. Who cares? Yeah, I, I agree. Now, what's funny after all this, I do think the Nets would be a bit of a tough matchup for the Sixers in some way, just because they do have those two elite players that, God forbid, as much as I don't believe in them, man, they can be clutch at times. But yeah, I'm, I'm out on the Nets. Here, here's my Cavs thing. The Cavs, to me, are a team that I would really like. Built around guards. Donovan Mitchell has had good playoff experience, has had good playoff series. And I think you could almost debate me if I had either was frustrated enough with Joel or had enough old fashions in me to take Donovan Mitchell over Joel to start my team. That's how much no I way. believe. Okay, I'm just just saying you could convince me. I, I wouldn't definitely do it. You could convince me to go with a, a guard that attacks a basket and played big in the playoffs. You could convince me. The thing about the Cavs and why I actually have the heat ahead of them right now is because- Ooh, spicy. Thank you. So to me, the heat, and I'm going to- hate myself for saying this. And I hope that this is not something that makes its way onto Twitter. I'm a little bit of believer in the heat culture thing of for what it was. Oh, here we go. I'm just saying I kind of am, man. I'm a big Tyler hero guy. Also very annoying. I can respect that. But 
They are a team that in the playoffs has consistently outperformed what people expected of them. They have a ton of playoff experience. I think they're a team that could be coasting a little bit. Now, they have been bad this year, 29th in points, 20th in net rating. They have not been good. And the Cavs have been really good. But the Cavs, I just don't know if they're ready to beat a team like the Heat or the Sixers. Maybe the Nets because the Nets are fake. But definitely not the Celtics or the Bucks. I just think the Cavs have such – they're, they're – uh, you know, path to winning a title. They're not ready yet. They're not there yet. This is not the season they win it. They have a bright future. I just don't, I will, I would not pick them over the heat in a playoff series. I think that's fair. And, you know, to your point, I, Jimmy has not been as good as he needs to be this year, but we've seen it up close and personal in Philly. Like there were some stretches of the year he was in Philly that there's a lot of revisionist history as if I, I understand Picking Ben over Jimmy was a mistake that we can easily identify in hindsight. Yeah. But if you go back and actually, if we were to sit and just watch every game from that year, there are a lot of times where Jimmy is just resting on his laurels and this game doesn't really matter. And he's just as bad as Ben and Joel, like the guy who is the alleged uh, tough as nails competitor, plays with an edge, all that stuff. Mm. He was as bad with the mailing it in stuff during the regular season. As yeah. they were. And so there is a little bit of mythology when it comes to and, him. And he but, wasn't great in the playoffs either. Well, he had some moments, I will well, say. Game I, seven, the, didn't he have like 16 points or something like that? Am I misremembering? I thought he had he a bad He did score the time basket out of the chaotic did, play. Yeah. And, but there were also some shot clock violations that I would put right. on him at the end of that game. The right. point being, though, like we have seen him be sort of bad in the regular season. Not bad is a strong word be below expectations or below standards for stretches of regular seasons and then come in in the playoffs and just reach a level that very few guys in the league can get to. And then you add on top of that, that I think Bam Adebayo is like uniquely suited to be good in the playoffs, just a really versatile switching defender that you can ask him to take basically any matchup and he might not win all of them, but he's at least going to force guys into tough shots. And so he can clean up a lot of errors and tough assignments for different guys because of that. And so I I agree with you that I probably put more respect on them than they have earned with their play so far this year. But I do want to see them, you know, actually look like a yeah, night to night competitive and good team. You know, maybe that happens at some point. I, I think the the weird thing this year with the whole league, but especially the Eastern Conference, there are so many teams that are just like 500 or slightly above 500. And there's almost no way to separate them unless you're looking, you're like combing through stats and different things. No, I I agree. When I sat down to do this, I fully expected to put the Sixers lower than third. But if you don't believe in the Nets and we just discussed the heat in the Cavs, I don't even know who else is in that discussion. So I have Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Nets, Heat, Cavs. Would you agree with that top three or would you swap would you change so that's the first six? Yeah, I think that's that's fair because I guess who's at the tail end? So here's that's who I have if you want to go from there since you might not have it in front of you. But I have then the Hawks, the Knicks as my eighth. And then I put the Raptors ninth. They are to me a more boring version of the Heat, but they do kind of play well when it matters. They are, they you know, they have Siakam, Fred Van Vliet. Like they have some guys I just don't think they have any stars. And so that's why I would put them ninth. But those would be my next three. I think Siakam is really good, but I think that team is in dire need of just a 
total shakeup. I, yeah. I think having watched them the other night, and my there were a lot of people that were hipsters and picking them to beat the Sixers in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. And I I was one of the few people who said the Sixers would win in six games because I just had no fear of mm-hmm. playing on the road there. And they can't score in the half court. If you can't score in the half court, you have no chance to win playoff games. And so I I can't take them seriously until they get some form of shot creation, add more shooting, whatever it is. Like I appreciate the identity that Toronto has strived for, but when you're a team that's just a bunch of six eight dudes who mostly can't dribble or shoot, I, I don't know what your path is to being a good enough offense. So like this is the team I figured you would hate the most. They're oh, a yeah, team of guys me. that are just like, <laughs> oh, they just play really hard and they defend yeah. and whatever. But also that has a shelf life too. You get to a certain point, it's like, all right, they're big and they're long and they turn you over, but then they get the ball and they don't have a clue what to do with it or where to go. So I'm well, really down on them. I, I would say unless Toronto makes some sort of big splashy trade that they're just kind of stuck right now. Yeah, I mean, I was with you last year. I think the Raptors should blow it up. I think they're a team of role players. I think Siakam is basically like Toby on steroids and maybe not even with the way Toby's playing. Siakam is the third best player. I know he was technically maybe the second best player on the title team, but let's be real. He's not somebody you can go to in the crunch. You're, you're seeing that. They don't have they don't have stars. They don't have stars. The Sixers, for whatever the frustration is, last year the Sixers had stars and the Raptors didn't. That's why I was disappointed they lost to the Heat because I felt that the Heat were similar to their that they have Jimmy, but uh, Lowry's washed. Hero, I like Hero, but he's not someone you can depend on late, in my opinion. Bam, I don't really care about him. He's a center. I get your switching <laughs> thing, but you know I just don't really care about Bam. So I, I look at those teams and I think they're very similar. It's why I, the Cavs are interesting to me. But real quick, the Hawks and the Knicks. Hold on, I just want to make sure that you're aware that you are making these comments about Siakam not being a star the night after he just dropped 52 points on the Yeah, that, that's fine. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I just want to make sure that everybody listening is yeah. clear on that that, that. that that happened last night. And Elliot's like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really believe in that. That's guy. fine. Toby could do it if Toby was the best <laughs> player on a team. Like Siakam's doing this when the games don't matter early in the regular season. Let him do it in the postseason, again, without Kwai, and then and then I'll believe in Siakam. I think Siakam is has a real chance to make another all NBA team is what I would say. So, and I think, I think that'd think be a complete waste of an all NBA team. He's the most, to me, the most like irrelevant player there is. He will always get you to a six <laughs> or seven seed. You'll talk yourself into him and then you'll always get bounced in the first round with him. He's kind of Evan Turner. Only. Oh, only come only, on. Only better. Again, no team with Siakam as their best. Evan player Turner, if he was really best. good, would be a really good player, I guess. Yeah. Well, Speaking yeah. of Evan Turner, like way off topic. Did you see the, um, he had a tweet recently where, did you see they renamed all the NBA awards after players? I did. Yes. Yeah. And someone said when LeBron retires, what's the award they should name after him? And Evan Turner quote tweeted it. And he said, if there's ever another bubble championship, they should name that trophy after <laughs> him. It's like, yeah. oh my God. It what is a- it is funny looking back. I I'm a LeBron guy. I think the last dance persuaded me to say Jordan's a goat. I'm very persuadable in the moment, as you can tell with my Siakam takes. But 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 I do think the Lakers bubble to- trophy does look bad in retrospect. You look at those pitchers and it does look like they win it in a rec gym with nobody there. 
like a few years removed. I don't know how much of a real title that is for LeBron. I'm I'm a fence sitter when it comes to that title because I do think when I watched the Lakers that year, they did have the vibe of like that's the best team, or at least yeah. like they're in the conversation. Now, do they win the title ultimately? We never know because COVID completely changed the world and they played in Disney World and it was right. uh, a whole thing. Um, but I, I don't, I, I do discount. It's like, you know, you're playing in front of no fans in Disney World. So yeah, it's it completely, is, there's no home. It is pretty cheap. Yeah. It is yeah. pretty cheap, but I, I don't, I don't go totally like asterisk title or oh, the Mickey Mouse. Title. I, I would agree. I would agree <laughs> with that. But I do think looking back, and I think what hurts them too is they haven't even been good since then. If they would have made the conference finals the year after, if they would have, I, it makes their one path to success w- was like that. That's what cheapens it for me. All right. The Atlanta Hawks. Cause I, I want to get to this before we have to wrap up the Atlanta Hawks. I have them below the Cavs, ahead of the Knicks and Raptors. You could persuade me that, but the, the Hawks question for you, there's Trey young talk. Trey young is, you know, mostly just speculation that he could ask out. This doesn't seem to be anything more than that. I certainly respect Chris Haynes. He's extremely connected. So I believe it, but it doesn't sound like he's close to act, asking out or anything. I don't see a path to the Sixers getting him. I'm all about the hypothetical, but you know, you don't trade Joel for him. They're not going to trade Harden for him. Maxie's probably not enough yet. And then you could debate that too. So it's interesting. I just, I don't see how it would get done, especially since they don't have any picks. They have no path to him. And yeah, I will say, so I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. I think Trey is one of the most entertaining players in the league. I think he's one of the best offensive players in the league. I think he might be so bad of a defender that you're going to be hard pressed to win with him unless you just perfectly build the team around him. Well, they I, did I think- make it to the conference finals. They did, but it was because Ben Simmons was a historic coward in a second yeah. round series. Like that was that was more about that was about Sixers, more about the Sixers and the Hawks. More about the Sixers choking than it was Atlanta being very good. So I, I think what you've seen since then is that was clearly not like a real title contending threat type of a team. And I think there's a difference between, you know, I'm more of a I care about defense guy. You are not. Yes, there is a middle ground between not caring about defense and this guy is one of the single, like maybe one of the 10 worst defenders in the league. And it's one thing to have some guys who are not Scottie Pippen or Kawhi Leonard or whoever on the perimeter. But when you go into every possession and that there's a guy on the floor who's just like that guy's food for whoever is in front of him, anybody who can dribble, anybody who is like six, four or taller, which is basically the entire NBA at this point guy is going to die on every screen you set on him. When all, when a guy who's apathetic off the ball as it is, like doesn't really care about defense on top of all that. Mm -hmm. That's a hard person unless they are like by far the best offensive player in the league. And he's not like, he is one of the best offensive. He's come, he's come down though, for sure. He's not, he's not having, I thought, Yes, he's not having a, a typical A plus Trey Young season on offense so far. Yeah. And I think part of the problem also has been the numbers have been okay with him and DeJounte Murray. Like I think DeJounte Murray's a very good player, but I don't think the fit looks very good. And you're starting to see like if it's not the Trey show and he's not the guy with the ball in his hands that 
theoretically he should be a good off ball player in the sense that he's a great shooter and you can put him off movement and space the floor, do some interesting things with him. I don't think Trey in the Atlanta games I've watched has been particularly impactful in that way. And I don't think he really wants to do it. I think he wants the ball in his hands as most great players do. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to, it might end up being a situation where a team who is kind of on the outside looking in of NBA relevancy is just like, you know, who cares? Like, we don't really care about these problems. This guy sells tickets. He's really entertaining. And he's he might be a guy that you could convince somebody else to play with a big man specifically. He'll get you a lot of easy buckets and pick and rolls and what have you. But I don't know if like a real deal team trying to contend is pushing in chips to be the Trey Young team. Like, I think he's a really and I don't mean I feel like I'm more I'm sounding more down on him than I actually am. But I no, think but that's I, a real conversation that'll be had. Yeah. And look, I agree with your assessment because I think this time last year, if we did this pod, you could have convinced me to maybe trade Joel for him. But I don't think he has turned into the player coming off that conference finals run that people thought he would. He's really, you know, he's a good shooter, but he's not a Steph Curry type shooter to your point about being that kind of guy. The last hypothetical I'll throw you before, just for fun, would you trade Maxi for him? If it's straight up? Then yeah, straight yeah up. but I mean, that's like obviously impossible. If they were, if that was possible, I would do it just because I think. Would you trade, trade Harden? Would you trade Harden for him straight up? Well, that's it because the problem there is then you have to trade Maxi. That's a situation. Yeah, because then you have Maxi and Young. It's well, contingent on I would just because Trey is younger and I think he's again one of the best playmakers in the league, all that. He has significant gravity that James just probably does not have at this point, and he can get mm-hmm. by guys and you know what have you. Um, but I think that's contingent on what do you do with Tyrese? Like, what is that trade? bring back and how does the team change around it like i think you'd be foolish to say you wouldn't trade in his mid-30s harden for trey young now that it just would never happen because atlanta's not doing that um but i do think trey young with joel Embiid, there's a lot of a lot of potential there it's never going to happen but you know yeah that's interesting yeah but it's just crazy because i would do i would trade harden for him and I probably would do Maxi, but I'm not as into it as I used to be. As much as we make fun of, not 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 make fun, I should say. As much as we point to Maxi's, you know, size issues, it's the same for Trey Young. I think Maxi has the same type of shooting ceiling. So you could convince me not to do that. I've definitely soured on Trey Young, and you know, I I don't think it's a coincidence that a Hawks team that looked like they were on the ascension, they acquired Deontay Murray, and he's still uh, Deontay Murray. I'm going to mispronounce that, and they still are might he might ask out. I think also speaks poorly to him a little bit too so all right we did there have been some some rumors about you know guys don't really love playing with trey like there's yeah. not again we talk about vibes i don't think the vibes are great there i do think on the maxi thing real quick before we go trey is a level of passer that tyrese is just never going to be that's, yeah I think that's we fair. can say whatever we want about tyrese's growth and his shooting and what have you but trey is a special level playmaker that i if Tyrese was even like 75% of that, he's a, a max player well into the future. So that is a big difference maker between those. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. And I think, look, Trey Young, for all of his problems, and we can say it was the Sixers, he has one big playoff series, like point blank. So that he has that on his resume. Um, fortunately, we have to wrap this up. I'm on a bit of a time crunch. But 
I wanted to end this pod. We will probably not talk to you guys till after Christmas. I'll, I'll talk to Kyle about when we're going to record next. But if you're still listening, want to wish everybody a super happy holiday. Um, I know we've said this a few times already, but I think it's important to say as much as we can. We appreciate everyone that's listened, uh, especially early on as we get used to doing this. It's been a ton of fun. This episode was a ton of fun as well. And I just wish everybody the best weekend. And hopefully the Sixers pull it off and everyone can celebrate a double win over the uh, Cowboys and the Knicks. Yeah, you know, I'm not super hopeful for the uh, the Dallas game, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we shall see. It doesn't really matter at this point. That's the thing. It's like, they can lose this game and it ultimately is... They're not going to pay be much fine. for it. Yeah. They'll be fine. So, all right. To everybody, I really appreciate it. I know Kyle does as well. This has been Clap Your Hands. Um, download that Odyssey app, get the episodes first, leave that five-star review, and have a great holiday weekend, even if it might not feel like a holiday weekend. Um, Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Happy holidays, everybody.